With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, folks! And welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris. Here, as always, with my co-host and A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if you want to listen to that on the reg, make sure you go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on uh, Apple, Spotify, and subscribe there. If you subscribe, you won't miss a single episode when we drop them on Mondays. At Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, and at A to Z Sports on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports National, and A to Z Sports.com. If you want to not just hear Zach and I's beautiful voices, but uh, read the words that we sometimes write. Well, Zach, football season is over. Um, kind of in this weird lull where you're getting ramped up to basketball season, getting into the SEC season of the basketball season, but it's not, you're not in the true throes of it yet. The Kentucky game hasn't happened. You know, you haven't had a full, haven't had a full Saturday of just basketball yet. NFL playoffs are still going. So we're not totally there yet. In a little bit of a sports purgatory of sorts, except the NFL playoffs are going on and the Titans are the number one seed in the AFC. Baby, let's go tighten up. Yeah, I mean, but besides that, uh, definitely purgatory is the right word because that's how I feel with this Alabama Georgia game tonight. Uh, good Lord, shoot me. I, I don't, I'm not pulling for either one to win, but if you know, there has to be an outcome, uh, somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. I would prefer that Alabama win the game. I think we've probably been over this before. I, I, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or just. Twitter over text or something before the show, but Georgia winning is not good for Tennessee in any way. No. Uh, Alabama wins. It's business as usual. Uh, it's just another championship for Nick Saban. Nobody bats an eye. Georgia wins. It's a big deal. I mean, Kirby Smart's already recruiting. He's been recruiting like a madman since he arrived in Athens. And the talent that, that Georgia has right now is why they're so good. Obviously, uh, Alex Golish, spoke uh, to Chris Lowe and Austin Price on Sunday evening on on The Nation. And they asked him about this Alabama-Georgia game because Tennessee is one of the very fortunate programs that got to play both uh, both Alabama and Georgia this year and got to see them up close. And they asked him about the defense and what makes those defenses so good. And when he was talking about Georgia, he said, you know, they, they bring out their front seven and they bring in their, their second team and there's no drop-off at all. And he talked about how... Tennessee's up-tempo offense, part of the objective is to catch teams off guard. The other objective is to wear defenses down. He said, you, you simply can't do that with Georgia's defense. They just bring in the same guys 
off the bench and they play to the same level. And that's, you know, it, it's not Kirby Smart's coaching. It's the talent level at Georgia. You just, you can't outcoach that. There's nothing you can do unless you have that same kind of talent. They have, they have better talent than Alabama does right now. Mm-hmm. Makes me ill to say that. It's the absolute truth. They lose to Alabama because Nick Saban is a far superior coach to Kirby Smart. But, yeah, the last thing that needs to happen, especially for us and any other team in the SEC East or any other team in the SEC, period, is for Georgia to win this national championship. No more. Saban is enough. No more, please. Kirby Smart's only 40-something. We can't do this. Because Saban, is, Saban is, thankfully, is reaching his twilight. He's almost 70 years old. Hopefully he doesn't have that many years left. Good Lord. College college football needs him to not have that many years left. I was having this conversation today about this playoff. Nobody cares about this game. No. Not a single person. Outside of Georgia and, and Alabama fans, you know, like, we all watch it because we're college football junkies. But, like, your day-to-day fan who's not in it deep, who cares? It's bad for college football. It really it's the least amount of buzz I feel like I've heard surrounding a championship game maybe ever. I mean, obviously we hear about it because we're so dialed into college football every single day because it's part of what we do with, with the podcast and just writing about Tennessee uh, and talking about Tennessee sports. You're just locked into all things college sports pretty much at, at all times. So we're always paying attention to it. But outside of that, when when I'm not in that world, I really, I mean, I feel like the buzz around this game is just non-existent. We, the, this morning, the guys at A to Z had me co-host their main show, which for the most part, they talk about Titans and they're more Nashville-centric. But to that point, it's a show where you would have more Nashville or nationally focused topics. We did not once, we full hour show, we did not once mention the national championship game tonight. Not one, not one single time. And, and nobody cared. I, I think live, at one point, we had almost 500 people watching live to that show. Not a single person said anything in the comments. Nobody was like, can we, can we talk about the national championship game? It is tonight. Come on, guys. Like, there was none of that. No, not a peep. And I, it's it's tough because it's like realistically we all know that this is nobody cares about this game but it is the most important game that's going to happen all season because it dictates largely where the top recruits in America go because the top recruits they all go to the schools that played in the playoff the same four schools play in the playoff every single year those schools get all the top talent and it is a self-perpetuating thing Constantly, forever. Maybe this name, image, likeness stuff will help that a little bit, but it we'll see. It's it's as yet to be seen, and I, <laughs> I I don't know. It's just it's alienating common fans, and it's annoying to avid fans like us, and it's a bad product all the way around. And then today, Bob Bowlesby comes out, the director, the commissioner of the college football playoff, and he says we've been discussing college football playoff expansion and we can't agree on a format and he's they said that he was visibly frustrated about this and so we're just caught in this fun little spiral of 
the you know th- this is I, this is my prediction. We'll see what happens, but I believe this will probably be the lowest rated college football national championship game of the modern era. Uh, last year's was the lowest, and I believe this will be even lower. And so, I I, I don't know. There's no perfect solution, but good lord, this ain't it. I I as much as there there's certainly a bias here of like I hate Georgia, I hate Alabama, I want them to lose every single game they ever play, and that's really annoying. But if I didn't root for Tennessee, this is just bad for college football, and that's a shame. And here we are. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately. Yeah, the 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 biggest game of the year is nowhere close to the most compelling game of the year. I mean, exactly. We had several bowl games. Uh, the the Tennessee Purdue game. Uh, the Ole Miss Baylor game. There were uh, what was the other Ohio State? Yes, the Utah. Ohio State. That was, I mean, the, the Notre Dame bowl game. Those games were way more compelling, more fun to watch, and, and your expectations for a national championship game are typically going to be pretty high. And there's just nothing there. I mean, there, there's there's no reason to tune in. It feels like most people. If Alabama was playing Michigan, I feel like you'd have a ton of people, pulling, a ton of non-Michigan fans pulling for Michigan just because they want to see Alabama lose. And you don't get that with Georgia because they're just viewed as the other bad guy. It's another SEC program. Uh, you have a lot of people out there from ACC fans, Big Ten fans uh, that are going to hate everything SEC no matter what. So they don't want either team to win. Pretty much every team inside the SEC that's not Georgia, Alabama, like you said, feels the same way. So yeah, it, it it's tough. It's unfortunate because hey, these are the two best teams in the country. I mean, based on what yeah. we saw this year, these are the without a doubt the two teams that yeah. need to be playing in the championship. And even if there was a twenty four or thirty two whatever game playoff, we'd probably end up with the same result. Good chance of it. And but at least the road there would be more interesting. I mean, I saw somebody say just in the comments from today where people were having discussions about how little buzz there is around this game at all and how nobody like just the care is so low outside of the two fan bases of the teams involved. Uh, I saw somebody say that, Oh, this isn't like you just said, they said, essentially you just said, this is so just non-compelling. There's nothing about it. That's all that attractive. And someone replied to them and said something to the effect of, we're just appreciate the great football being played. If you want drama, go watch Lifetime. And I was like, uh, what? Like, okay, there's there is a subset of college football fans who just appreciate football. I think we're we're around there. I mean, I'm no tactician with football, but I enjoy some good some good coaching, some strategy, some, you know, it, it, just at least analyzing the way that coaches think through things, but we're dorks about this stuff. We host a podcast about college sports, college football. Like we're an exception. We're not the rule. What college football as a whole needs to be worried about is being compelling to the common fan because that's who watches. And that's where your money's going to come from as far as like TV contracts Mm -hmm. and things. And there's you, you need, yeah, it sounds shallow. You need drama. You need it. You have to have some sort of like underdog narrative or some sort of, I mean, any storylines of just some kind to make somebody who's not a fan of these two teams and isn't interested in the in the tactile bits of football, you need to get that guy to watch this game 
and they're not. What what about this game is going to be, oh, Georgia has the greatest defense and Alabama has the Heisman winner. Okay. okay. When is what's different about that from any other year? That's how it is every single year. Okay, great. It's not interesting at all. And and you know, like, yeah, we get that. I'm I'm here for just the two best college football teams in America, but your your run of the mill fan that their attention has to be caught by this game, they're out. They're gone. I mean, like I said, it's probably almost definitely going to be the lowest rated college uh, national championship playoff of the modern era, and that's it's just it's sad because we can do better. We can do better than this, but I don't know. I feel like we could we could rant on this all day, could we not? Yeah, it's kind of interesting that. I was way more interested in the Raiders Chargers game last night because oh. of all the drama surrounding that game. And the way it yes. played out was you could not have scripted that any better the way it played out. But, you know, both teams tie. They're both in. One of them wins. The Steelers are in. I mean, all that drama surrounding a game that I would not have cared less about any other Sunday night of the year. I wouldn't I wouldn't care anything about the Raiders and the Chargers playing. I would probably have it on while I was doing something else, just kind of in the background, like I do a lot of various games. Like I will probably do much of the game tonight. Um but because of all that drama and because of everything associated with it and a lot of the NFL games uh on Sunday, Saturday and Sunday were the same way where the outcome of that game impacted the outcome of another game. It was very compelling, and that was the reason a lot of people tuned in. A lot of people were talking about the Raiders and the Chargers today just because of, of how that went down and what was at stake, and there, there's just none of that uh, it's, surrounding Alabama and Georgia for, for the reasons you talked about. It's high, high, high drama, and it's so, so great. I mean, <laughs> it was such a random regular season game. Chargers-Raiders, as somebody who lives on the East Coast— who cares? I mean, yeah. it just is not a game that I'm going to care about. But everything connected to that game, I was glued to it. I even tweeted it out. I said it was one of the most compelling sporting events I have ever watched because it was just so funny. The whole thing where if they ended in a tie, they both made it into the playoffs. And then the Chargers called a timeout when it looked like the Raiders might just run down the <laughs> clock and let it be a tie. Like there was so much of it. It was the wildest thing I'd ever watched. And it's because of the storylines. Like, I know that that football guys want it to just be about football, but the common fan isn't you. How many uh, How many football guys are there? I mean, how many just in the weeds X's and O's guys? I mean, those are all X players, right? I mean, they have to be like X high-level players because most people don't get that into it. Or they talk about it on a surface level where half the people don't know what they're talking about. Half of, half of the, you know, you, you can listen to some of the terminology and I'm going to be super confused about a lot of it. I don't think, yeah, I mean that, that is a very small audience. I feel like it, it absolutely is. And the bulk of it that I see is, is yeah, former, former players or guys who are, are just in the weeds about it. There are definitely guys like that. Um, guy, I would say to a certain extent with college basketball, I'm that way. I love the strategy of, of college basketball and I played basketball for a long time in my life. And, uh, and you know, I just, I love it. Like I'm kind of that way with college basketball, but not with, with football as much. Um, so there are definitely guys like that with football, but the, the bulk that I have always run into in media. Yeah. They are like form, former players who were in it 
in the weeds. It's it just is like inside shop talk. And I yeah, I I get it. I get where they're coming from. I absolutely do. But if you want the health of college football in general to be considered, that's not what you want out of this game. So nonetheless, let's let's make it better. All all I uh, well, this is a whole other conversation. All I want to see out of it is basically for it to be the college football or uh, the the NFL playoffs, mm-hmm. essentially. Like I'm I'm actually for. And I know this is very this is controversial. I know a lot of people aren't going to agree with me on this. A system I would love to see is basically the NFL playoffs brought to college football. I believe the numbers would be twelve teams, four teams get a bye, and that's your your playoff. It might, Six, well, uh, four, NFL's 16? 14 that now. 16? 14 now. 14. But, they only, but that's only two. It's two buys no, now in the well, NFL. Well, yeah, two total. It's a weird. But I, I would do four. I would do four buys because it's about to be, in college football, it's about to be the power four conferences. The Big 12 is going to get shaved off when Oklahoma and Texas come to the Big 12, and the Big 12 is no longer power five. So now it's power four, and, and the SEC obviously being the predominant conference there. But nonetheless... And then you have four, essentially four conference championships or just the four best teams from those four conferences. Those are the four buys, probably. And so you still have this sort of four important slots thing going on. But then you have the ancillary games that are the first round that move on to play the four teams that got the buy. And those would be and fun you, games. They would be incredible, I, I think. And then you cut. This is where I get people where I lose people. You cut out conference championship games. People love the conference championship games. But that's, you know, it, it just, you got to think about like the wear and tear on guys' bodies and the amount of games that they have to play. But that's, to, to yeah, me, I, I mean, I'm, I I'm fine. Great. I'm totally fine with cutting out a conference championship game because it's just, you know, sometimes it, it, it's a good game, but it's not necessary, especially if you have that kind of setup. You have more games. You have, you'd have some better games, better opponents. Um, I, I would be fine with that, but it'll, it'll never ever happen i don't think because never the sec is not going to give up that revenue and uh, all the associated sponsors that's that's probably not going to happen yeah the the dr pepper sec championship yeah, game. yeah. the city of atlanta DP ain't gonna want to get that up stronghold on that which i mean the sec championship game should be in well, like maybe nashville that would be a perfect uh spot i i, I don't understand atlanta agreed but Let's do talk now about Tennessee sports. Not much has happened with Tennessee football. Had a, a wide receiver from the transfer portal um, enter. Uh, he's he's transferring to Tennessee from Wyoming. Isaiah Nayer? Yeah. Nay- yeah, Nayer. Um, he's, he's coming in number 21 or 22 overall transfer, according to 247 Sports. Really nice pickup. Not exactly a position of need well, for think, Tennessee, yeah. but... Uh, well, I guess losing Bayless, I mean, it's a yeah. guy you can count on, at least. Exactly. And just the fact that he he visited USC. Uh, he, I think he visited Texas. He's, he's from... Well, I think he's originally from Minnesota, but he played high school football in Texas, so that's kind of his hometown program he really chose Tennessee over USC and Texas and he wasn't able to visit Tennessee because of this crazy NCAA rule I don't know if you're aware of this but players in the transfer portal can take in it's a dead period right now until January 13th but if you're in in the portal you can take a visit to a program as long as an official visit as long as that school 
starts classes within seven days of that visit. So a lot of programs started, a lot of schools started classes last week or they're starting this week. Tennessee doesn't start classes until January 24th. The dead period ends January 13th. So they get no benefit at all to that because they could visit anyway. So that's why he was able to visit USC, couldn't visit Tennessee. Uh, And and there's, you know, obviously that's going to impact the portal as a whole. Now, I wrote a little about that. I saw a lot of comments. Well, that's on Tennessee. They got to do better. Well, I I don't think Tennessee's building their class schedule around the transfer portal. And (laughs) and maybe, and and look, maybe they will in the future because they recognize that's a problem. They'll, you know, get on level playing field there. But that's that's something that's kind of come out of nowhere. I mean, this is everybody's kind of adapting to this as we're we're all experiencing this in real time. So these rules are just kind of being made up by the NCAA. So I don't think that's something that Tennessee could prepare for in any way. So I, I don't throw any fault at the university for putting the football program in a in a bad spot there. But it is a a strange rule that doesn't really make much sense to me. If you're going to be there in the spring semester anyway. What's it matter when you visit in January? If it's January second or if it's January eighteenth, it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. But despite that, Tennessee was still able to get this kid from Wyoming. Yeah, it's, it's great pick pick up. Regardless, um, you did have the scare this week <laughs> uh, with Tyler Barron entering Bizarre. his name into the transfer portal and then taking a ride back out the very next day. Um, no, other otherwise, D Beckwith is transferring and a long snapper is transferring, yeah. but a couple of guys, not not surprising. Yeah, Beckwith, Beckwith basically had his playing time taken. Yeah, he's that that was not surprising. He's at a all. strange guy where I felt like he should have been a tight end or or maybe a stand up linebacker type guy. He's six he's really four. Tall. Yeah, he's six four. I mean, he's Derrick Henry's size, just a maybe a little taller, but he does not have the physicality and He's 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 shies away from contact. Like the little bit I saw him play, he does not look like he liked contact. Can't play linebacker or running back if you don't like contact. So I'm not sure what his future holds. I know he was he was originally supposed to play basketball at Tennessee as well. I remember that. And and that fell through. It always seems to fall through. The, it, you rarely see any of these two sport guys anymore. Even when they talk about it, um it's like Josh Dobbs. I think he was supposed to play baseball at Tennessee. I don't. I don't think that ever happened. But yeah, uh, yeah, maybe he. Maybe he should go back the basketball route uh, because that might be maybe his preferred sport. I don't know. Maybe, but not uh, not surprising with with him. I don't even know about the long snapper, but he's gone. Um, I think he was on scholarship, so that's uh Oh, that's a there's one. and it was he had lost the job Freed to a non scholarship player, so that was a not a loss. Oof. Yeah, that's rough. Um, it was fun. It, that just makes me think of it was really funny in in college. My sister dated the guy who was the long snapper for Tennessee football, and uh, I remember like I would tell people, be like, my sister's dating a dude on the football team, and like telling people that, and they'd be like, oh, really? What position are he playing? I'd be like, long snapper. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. He goes in like three or four times a game for one I mean, play. <laughs> a lot, like he plays. He plays. I mean, he's, hey, he's a player. I think about this sometimes. If you're a kicker, are you a football player? I mean, you're not doing anything really 
you're a football player technically, but you're yeah. nobody's going to look at you and be like, yeah, you're you're that guy's a football player unless it's Sebastian Janikowski, and then maybe well, and dude's a beast, but. A long snapper, you actually you having to block some guys. You're you're mm-hmm. you're doing some things out there. Yeah, I mean, oh, and and if that guy screws up, it's a massive screw up. Yep. <laughs> you're losing points. You're messing up, flipping the field, whatever it might be. So, uh, yeah. But I I just it made me think of that. It's funny. But Tyler Barron enters his name into the portal, comes right back out. A lot of people made jokes that, oh, who, who brought him the McDonald's bag? Who who brought him the money? I don't know what happened there. I don't care if they paid the kid. I hope that they did. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, that, I don't really mind. That's some cause, interesting thing, though. You you might start seeing players go in the portal and use it as leverage to get paid while they're in school. I mean, no longer does it. Yeah. No longer during the recruiting process, if you pay a guy, does it mean that you have him? Right. That's true. I mean, I I would say as as far as that conversation goes, that's. An interesting one that you could probably take a deep dive on because, I mean, stuff like that is going to come up. There, with monetary incentives, these things are going to happen. It it is what it is, and and players who do that, they are not bad. They're not. They're playing the game. Yeah, everybody plays. Coaches play the game. Coaches put their name out there through their agent. Like oh, Mike Gundy. I think Jim Harbaugh is doing it right now with Michigan in the NFL. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the, the rumor is he's going to the Dolphins, and so now, and he just won the Big Ten, and so he's probably going to try to get up that. Can you up a lifetime contract or uh, whatever they have him signed on? You know, what's interesting is that the the owner of the Dolphins is a Michigan guy, and there he came out today and said that he he wouldn't be the guy that that takes Jim Harbaugh from Michigan. Which I I mean, huh. maybe he will or I won't. I don't know. I don't believe anything that that comes from the coaching carousel type stuff. We've been lied to enough. But I did see one report that suggested that they had been speaking, but it was more about the contract because obviously Stephen Rawls, you know, billionaire owner of the Dolphins, is probably a mega donor to Michigan and would have a lot to do with Jim Harbaugh getting a new contract. So if there's been discussions between the two, supposedly that's where those discussions have been leading to. Hmm. I, I saw somebody say, I think he like the business school at Michigan is named after that guy. Like he's like that kind of a donor. Um, I'm not sure you should so, own a football team because they fired a, a decent coach. That, I, who are you going to hire now type? Well, my, situation. my thought that that's why I think everybody's mind went to Harbaugh. Oh, mine went, did why would yeah. you fight this guy? Won didn't he win eight of the last nine yeah. and beat the Patriots yesterday. And with you know, like with a very unsettled quarterback situation, like two is not the guy down there. No, he's not. So yeah. if the NFL, if, if you don't have a quarterback, you're not going to win. And not to get too deep into the Miami Dolphins, but the guy went ten and six last year, beat the Patriots twice this year. The the team was one and seven, and you like you said, you reel off and win eight out of nine or whatever. I think he's probably a pretty good leader. So I I don't know what. I don't know what they're doing. Odd, but either way, um, going going all the way back with Baron. Oh yeah. So you know that they're people just thought it was an odd situation. Oh, who brought him the McDonald's back? Ha ha ha. But one of the t- like the take that I think I had the most problem with is that I I tweeted out like this is a big loss for Tennessee. Like this 
when he when he was assumed to be leaving when the transfer portal. I said, this is a brutal loss. Like, this is a position you're already losing guys. Um, Matt Matthew Butler going going pro, and you know, you just it's a major position of need. The guys that are coming in are freshmen. You do have a few guys on the defensive line coming in as freshmen. They're just not going to be ready to play. And a lot of people responded and they said, "Oh, well, he's he's replaceable. Look at those stats." And I'm like, "Okay, sure, he, he is. You're right. His his stats are not off the charts. They are not. And he he had lost some playing time and and just hadn't looked like being that dude. But Tennessee doesn't need to be replacing anybody mm-hmm. right now. Tennessee needs to be adding people right now. That's the thing. We don't need to lose Tyler Barron and bring somebody in. We need to bring somebody in in addition to Tyler yeah, Barron is what needs that. You don't need to be losing second string guys right now, let alone no. you know, a likely starter. The defense was so decimated in every game this season. I mean, it just they they came to a point in almost every single game that they played this year where they just hit a brick wall because mm-hmm. there just weren't guys left to play. You can't. You just can't afford to lose anybody right now, even if you could replace him. Per se, they had he had left in Tennessee, brought in Jared Verse, who ended up going to Florida State, however you, you feel about that. But per se, that had been the thing. It's like, is did you get that much better? You get a guy who's a little bit better, but you still have no depth. And and to me right now, the depth is the most important thing. But I, I digress there. That was just like the most common thing that I saw around. I was like, oh, he's replaceable. Yeah, sure. But you don't need to replace. You need to add, and this is not adding. So I, I'm I'm glad they kept him. Hopefully, we can still scrounge around in the transfer portal for somebody. A lot of people are already taken at this point, but you have all the way until the coming season. Uh, a lot of a lot of stuff can happen. Yeah, the portal never uh, really closes, so that's no, and that's that's a weird aspect of it that they they'll need to address. Um, oh, I you mentioned talking about the issue with players, you know, getting money or paying to stay or whatever. There, there's one solution to all of this and it's contracts. I mean, yep. That's the one solution that I think everyone could agree with would work. However that looks, I don't know. That's a whole nother conversation, but that's at this point, the way college football is trended. I think that's the only route you can take and keep some sort of structure and just to keep it from being total chaos. Because right now it is total chaos. I mean, you've got Harrison Bailey, former Tennessee quarterback, still in the portal. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't found a home yet. And these quarterbacks, if you're good, you're not in the portal long. I mean, Caleb Williams is trying to figure out what's going to happen to USC, who's going to write the biggest check, whatever. Um, but you see a lot of movement, Dylan Gabriel, you know, quickly moving after not, not going to UCLA, going to Oklahoma once Caleb Williams left. I mean, there, there's those top tier guys are finding their spots and getting locked in. Harrison Bailey, if you're leaving Tennessee, it's because you're not happy with your playing time. So you want to go somewhere you're going to play. Well, programs similar to Tennessee aren't going to bring you in and offer you the starting job. So you've got to decide, am I going to go play at Stephen F. Austin, like Brian Maurer, or one of these lower, you know, an FCS program, or am I going to go to another situation that's not necessarily ideal? Maybe enough of this happens that players realize, hey, the grass isn't always greener. Maybe if I'm a top-tier quarterback, 
or somebody like Jared Verse who isn't highly recruited, you go to Albany and then you become a a major contributor and SEC programs want you, we'll, we'll see some of that kind of stuff still happening, but we won't see as much of this like offensive lineman going from Tennessee to Auburn or something like that because that's that's the part that's kind of crazy right now that's not really benefiting anybody. We talked about it in recent weeks, just fleshing all this out. It's just going to take growing pains. You you have to just wade through all of this initial. There's a lot of excitement about it and players thinking, oh, I'll take advantage of the transfer portal. I'll take advantage of the transfer portal. And as you said there, it's just not that easy. You can You can do that, but it's not like, oh, I'm not getting any playing time at Tennessee. Surely... Utah will take me. That's not necessarily true. Who, you know, you you just may not find exactly what you're looking for. And, and kids are going to find that reality, un, unfortunately. Um, ha- happens to all of us, with even the folks that didn't play sports in college. You know, I had to, uh, I, may, maybe a, a somewhat equivalent to just a regular student at UT. I, I absolutely bombed my first, uh, accounting test because i just thought that i oh i got this it's all good we're doing it and then they kicked me in the teeth and then i thought hmm okay well maybe i'm not as smart as i thought and this isn't going to be easy and this isn't you know and then you you just you, you, you live you learn onward and upward and we'll just have to find out exactly what happens there but interesting situation nonetheless uh i'm sure there will be more updates as the week's past but that's just the latest so far um now let's talk here in the latter half of the show zach about tennessee basketball it's a touchy subject at the moment tennessee um overall ranked in the top 25 well i don't did the the new ranking come out are we still in the top they fell four spots i believe okay so what 22 now yeah so down to number 22 after a loss to Alabama and then a loss at LSU, two very tough games, um, and then a very weird win over Ole Miss. I was at that game, and it just everything was off from the very beginning. Um, Tennessee's not playing good basketball right now. That's the bottom line. Uh Folky and Kennedy Chandler were out with COVID against Alabama. You ended up playing a playing an admirable game there, but losing, having the lead for almost the entire game and then losing at the end. Then those guys come back and you play Ole Miss and and lay an absolute egg. Played so bad. Tennessee played so irredeemably bad in that game. It was horrific to watch. So sloppy. Couldn't throw a pee in the ocean or, or however you uh, couldn't. Couldn't fall in the ocean if you were in a boat. Like, however you want to say that. And then they they pull it out because Ole Miss was only playing with 10 guys. They had a bunch of guys out with COVID. And thankfully, Ole Miss was so bad in that game that they were even worse than you were. So thank God. And then you just go get your butt kicked at LSU. I, I don't... There were a couple of moments in that game where it looked like Tennessee might be trying to get back in it. And then they just make another sloppy play. Another turnover. And just then LSU ultimately they win that I believe double digits not yeah, by twelve had to lead the whole game I mean it just wasn't even wasn't even there now those are tough games playing at Tuscaloosa 
at LSU. Games that I would expect Tennessee to likely lose, but it's the way that Tennessee is playing where clearly they're not playing up to their potential. They're not playing the best that they could. Fulky, super inconsistent. Has a magical game against Arizona and then has done nothing since. Now, he may be battling some junk from COVID. He had he had the Rona and just looked really tired against Ole Miss and sat out for the final, like, seven minutes of that game or something. Just Barnes didn't even put him in the game. Something's going on. I, I How do you diagnose what you've been watching with Rick Barnes and the, and the boys? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the Fulkerson stuff obviously jumps out, and I think that's a big key, obviously, because if you look back at the Arizona game, I mean, Fulkerson was huge in that game, right? Like, 24 points. I mean, played high energy, just, it was, it was, what, probably one of his best games ever. And he goes out with COVID, and he really hasn't been the same since, and you look at the comments from Barnes, which we've all heard and seen by this point where he says, you know, if John's not going to be what we need him to be, he needs to step aside. Now, I first saw that quote on Twitter and I assumed that it was not, it was like taking out of context somehow. And that's, I read the full quote and then I went and found the video to make sure, because when you hear something like that, so direct, even from Barnes, who's, you know, he, he doesn't pull any punches type guy. It was very, I don't know, it kind of surprised me. Not that Barnes is wrong, uh, because Fulkerson hasn't been playing like Tennessee needs him to be, or you know, since that Arizona game. But it, it did kind of catch me off guard. He did. I don't know if you saw this. Barnes did kind of explain his comments today about Fulkerson, and he didn't really walk it back, but he kind of expanded on it a bit and really seemed to insinuate that maybe Fulkerson is still battling COVID because I, he said, uh, you know. If he, look, if he is sick, he, he needs to let us know so that we can help him get back to where he needs to be. Um, so maybe that's looked, what he means. Against Ole Miss, it looked that way. Like he just, he was kind of staggering up the court and just not, it just wasn't, he wasn't himself. Like how can I, you I go from that way. really dominant against Arizona, one of the best teams in the country, to look in that way against, you know, Ole Miss and, and and Alabama and LSU are good teams, but they're not they're not Arizona. They're not teams out there contend for the national championship this year type teams. Um that is the only thing that makes sense. And if that's the case, well, I mean, what's the answer then? What do you do? There's nothing you can't just say, hey, feel better. Nobody this you know, COVID COVID <laughs> is it's COVID is still this, you know, we're two years into it, but we still don't really understand a lot of things about COVID and how it affects certain people and how some people have these lingering effects. We really don't know how sick he was with COVID to begin with. Is it? I mean, it's just no good answer. As a younger person who had the COVID uh, before any vaccines were available or anything last year, well, I guess it's what, 2020, so even two years ago or whatever it was. I, I could sympathize with that. It it knocked me down, and I I feel like I'm I'm in decent enough shape. Uh, and I I was down and out, maybe like seven to ten days, uh, just in general. I mean, I remember we we recorded a show, mm-hmm. and it, while I was just in the recovery process, and 
afterwards, I like was I was tired just from sitting here and screaming at the top of my lungs like I always do on this. Like, right. Yeah, you got to wonder about conditioning and running up and down the yeah. floor. I I could totally see that, but yeah, maybe he's right. If that's if, if if that's what he if that's the case, and he can't get up and down the floor. Look, look, yeah, we're glad you're out there. We're glad you're trying to give it a go, but you're hurting the team more than you're helping anything. Yeah, and that makes total yeah. sense. But the the thing that gets everybody, and it's it's especially with me. Every time I bring this up, everybody like you're being emotional. You're being overreactive. You're bubble bubble bubble. You got to talk about Rick Barnes in this situation. I have been you know, pe- people literally said this to me the other night. I was, I was tweeting during the LSU game and saying like, "This is who Rick Barnes is. Yeah. He has taken great rosters and he just doesn't maximize them. He, I, I love the guy truly. Mm-hmm. He's one of the best coaches that has been at Tennessee in my lifetime. An unbelievable representative for the university, a stand-up person." who is a great recruiter and a great player developer. He is a, you can say that flat out, a great player developer. He has made a a big number of guys at Tennessee so far better at the game of basketball. But when it comes to taking those guys who he makes better at basketball and putting them together as a full-on team and sending them out onto the floor and coaching against another coach, it's not a strong suit. That's just not, there are guys who are true X's and O's those guys, and that's where they beat you. He is not that guy. He he never uses timeouts in crunch time, and his some sometimes I I feel like his general feel for the game, where where you might you know call a timeout when you're getting down, or you might switch up your defense, or you might you know something like that is just off sometimes, and the way that he handles a guy like Kennedy Chandler, where he has this kid running sort of like slow plotting offense. That's not really facilitating him as like a slashing guard when he can clearly really finish at the rim when he puts his mind to it. It, I just, and they don't really run set plays almost at all. And when they do, they're kind of, I don't know. I, I just look at it, and I, I've said this for a long time. I said it the day that this guy got his current contract. He thought about leaving for UCLA mm-hmm. and got paid $5 bucks a year, and I said, well, here's the thing. I don't know that I've seen Rick Barnes coach like a $5 million coach. Doesn't have a national championship. He's At that point, he was making more money than multiple guys who had won national titles. Uh, now, I believe it's flattened out a little bit. You know, Price for coaches just keeps going up. But um, I said it back then. That's a big, you're asking for giant expectations, so you got to meet him. Now, he has he's recruited the five stars. That's amazing. But the product on the floor is not five million, is not a $5 million product. The product on the floor, especially like what he's getting out of some of these five-star guys last year, this year with Kennedy Chandler, is just, you want, you, I mean, you want to see more. That's it. I want to, I want to see more and he obviously it's a long season you got plenty of time to bring it together but i i just said some stuff along those lines after that lsu game and people were like oh you're just being emotional i was like i've been saying this for three years Mm -hmm. i've been saying it for three years this is who this guy is this isn't me suddenly realizing like oh rick rick barnes no i was saying it last year i was saying it the year before 
and now it's, it's the still same, just manifesting it's itself. It's the exact same conversation we were having two years ago when we started this podcast. I mean, that it really is. Yep. And it, it's like you said, this is who he is. It's not going to change. He's 67, 67 years old, I believe. Um, you have to wonder. I mean, he's in that same class of coaches as Roy Williams, Coach K, all those guys that were were, were in the ACC together and, and in their fourth, fifth decade, fourth decade of coaching, whatever. You saw Roy get out because he said, you know, the game of basketball has changed so much. The kids are changing. The way that you the way that you coach is changing. The way that you connect with these kids is not the same as it was in in nineteen ninety eight or two thousand and eight or even two thousand and twelve. It's way different. And Coach K, similar. I, I thought Coach K would be. I think he's in his early seventies too. But I felt like he's a Nick Saban type guy where he's just going to keep going and going and going until he physically cannot go anymore. He's getting out for some of the same reasons. What those guys were better coaches than Rick Barnes, or at least you know they accomplished more than Rick Barnes. Why should we expect Barnes to suddenly take this team to new heights? Like it's probably going to get worse from here if you're being realistic about it. And that's nothing against Rick Barnes. I agree. Like you said, he's a a great person. He's a great coach. But the game of basketball, the kids, it's all different now, and, and you cannot use the same approach. And no matter how much you evolve, it's hard for a 67-year-old coach to evolve too much. I, I'm not saying that he's stuck in his ways or anything like that, but it's just truly tough to to do that. And that's why you see some some younger coaches that are really having success, you know, somebody like Nate Oates, that just they're brought up in a different time. They approach the game a different way. And, you know, Barnes' career is on the, the downswing. He's going to retire eventually. I wouldn't be surprised if he retires before the end of the contract just because of the state of the game. I mean, I here's – this is anecdotal. I will acknowledge that up front. But just a comparison. So people are, are roasting Conzo Martin this year, former Tennessee coach who – kind of unceremoniously left when Tennessee fans were already sort of fed up with him and went to Missouri. You know, just roast him because he's having a rough season. Since Rick Barnes had Grant and Admiral, they went 31-6 and six in 2018-19, went to the Sweet 16, and lost in brutal fashion. Rick Barnes has won 43 games since then to this very day. Conzo Martin, 43 games. Conzo Martin has won 39 in that time. He is four games better than a guy that we are roasting to high heaven, okay? in Since since having Grant Nadrell. Now, Conzo Martin does not have a year like that on his resume, so it's a different situation. Like I said, acknowledging that it is anecdotal, but to get out over your skis and be like, right now, this guy is one of the great coaches um, two years, two years ago, seventeen and fourteen. Obviously, no postseason that year with the COVID. Then eighteen and nine last year, bounced in the first round in a really ugly mm-hmm. game with a roster that had multiple five star players on it. And so far, uh, just kind of an awkward. What's what's the overall record right now? Not nine and four. 
I think. It's uh, ten, ten, and four. 10 and 4. 10 and 4. So, hold on. These, I think the the records that I was looking at were actually wrong. Um, Should be 11 like, and 4, but the Memphis game, you know. Yeah, that's true. I think Conzo's was up to date, but bottom bottom line. So, at, at most, Rick has another two games. So, maybe it's 45 wins to Conzo's 39. Either way, it's close. Like, it's not... He... He is having successive seasons where it's just not what you would hope it would be when you have all of these senior guys, all of these five-star players. You know, you bring in like Huntley Hadfield and he barely plays and, and some stuff like that. It's like, what are we, what are we doing? I don't, I, I hate having this conversation right now because it's very early. Mm-hmm. It's, it's early in, early in the season. We're essentially just halfway through. He has plenty of time to redeem himself, but we said this last year. We said exactly this last year. It got a little rough in the middle of the season, and we said, hey, it's a long season. It's a long, he can he can redeem himself, and he did not. So Yeah, I think we know how this ends, right? Yeah. First or second round exit. I mean, that's that's more likely than not, just because it's become the norm. If, if I'm a betting man, it is semifinals in the SEC tournament, and then you lose, and I'll, I'll give him Kennedy Chandler. I think he rounds into form a little bit down the stretch. I'll give him second round in the NCAA tournament. Like, that's my vision yeah. for this team. And it's sad because when they play their best, mm-hmm. when they, they go all out, it's a Final Four level roster, yeah, I that think, Arizona, in my opinion. That Arizona game yeah, uh, when they played UNC and dismantled them, I mean, yeah, Killed for them. sure. Yeah, and that's that's the tough part. And and you just at this point, like we gotta just have this conversation, guys. We all love Rick Barnes. We all love him. But let's let's talk about the reality here. Now I don't know. I'm not gonna prescribe anything. I'm not saying fire the guy. I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying fire the guy. I'm not saying force him to retire. I'm not saying anything. I'm saying let's look at this situation realistically. The guy, the guy is showing you. Who, how, how, how many years of examples do we need? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's what one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years now, seven years of examples. All right. I don't know. So not, not to get too negative in the middle of the season, they can turn it around. Do you, anything can happen, but I feel like what I'm, what I've just searched is something that I've searched while we were doing this podcast <laughs> many times before, but it's, you know, Rick Barnes' salary. Um, like you said, he makes five or four four point nine five million. I'm I'm sure it's five north of five with incentives. That is the according to to in, in August, late August, just before the season, he was the fifth highest paid coach in college basketball. I mean, are you getting fifth highest paid results on any level? I mean, he is Two million below Coach K, one million below Jay Wright. Uh, Chris Beard at Texas is five million, and then the highest paid, of course, is Calipari at at uh, at Kentucky. But I mean, are you are you getting what you're paying for? Is it worth it? I mean, three. You just read off three guys with national titles and a guy with a Final Four. That's who is ahead of Rick Barnes. He has a single Final Four in his time. 
And that's that's all. And a sweet 16 at most with Tennessee. And now you have multiple five stars. Uh, a nice like Jemima Shacks, like a four star. That was, I mean, what was it? The number two recruiting class in America this past year? That's how good it was. The number two recruiting class in America, if I'm remembering correctly. I'd have to go back and check. But it was way up there. And I mean, we just, and he's making five million bucks a year, and I can't, I can't expect more out of the guy than to go and get his butt kicked at LSU to freaking Will Wade. I, I just, I don't agree. And I, you know, I'm making, I'm kind of making up a straw man there, but I definitely get pushback every single time I ever mention this stuff. Oh, and you know, to make matters worse. And I saw this stat today on Twitter. I didn't seek it out, but Auburn under Bruce Pearls won their first three conference games by double digits against LSU, South Carolina, and Florida. So, I mean, the LSU's, obviously we've seen them play. That's the first time Auburn's done that in 20, 30 years or something, apparently. So, that is just like salt in the wound, seeing them at 14-1. and one. And Bruce, it was the number five recruiting class in America. Uh, my apologies. Uh, but... And their only loss was to UConn in, in double overtime, Auburn, by the way. It was a great game. I watched that game. It was at the Battle for Atlantis. Yeah. But um, has a Final Four. Makes less. Yeah, he makes uh, than Rick Barnes three, does. 3.95 million, something. Oh, About a million oh. less than Barnes. Has And has Rick Barnes in a vice. When was the last time that Rick beat, beat Bruce? Yeah. I don't remember. Beat him in the SEC championship game. He has an SEC championship. Oh, yeah. Let's not forget, beat Rick in the SEC championship game. Making a million dollars less. I mean, we just, we just have to be realistic. That's all I am saying. I'm not saying fire the guy. I'm not saying force him to retire. That's that's a conversation for the end of the year if things do not get better. What do you think about I've seen I saw this comment multiple times, and I'm sure you probably did too. I don't, I don't, maybe you commented. I don't I don't remember if I saw your take that Grant Williams is to Rick Barnes as Josh Dobbs was to Butch Jones. It was actually really funny. I saw that on Twitter and earlier in the day, I had literally texted that to a, like a group chat that I have with just with some friends of mine who are, we're all Tennessee fans. I had texted that to them and said almost exactly that. And then I saw it on Twitter just a little bit later. Now I hate the, the comparison of Rick Barnes yeah, yeah, Butch no, Jones. this is not a Rick Barnes to Butch Jones comparison yeah. in any way. Rick Barnes. That's so far Rick Barnes. That's so far off the radar, it didn't even cross my mind that some people would make that connection. Yeah. Rick Barnes is a superior coach. Yes. In the college basketball landscape, far superior to anything the Butch Jones will ever do. <laughs> Let's start there. But Grant Williams was a truly transcendent special. I mean, honestly, as a as a college student, he was a leader of men. Like, he just has that thing and is just a special, special dude. Uh, and he's showing it, you know, he's he's turning in, into a really nice NBA player, too. Like, he just has whatever that is. And he, I think, pasted over Rick's shortcomings in those years. Because all Rick ever had to do to reliably get points was go, give it to Grant to paint. 
and then Grant goes and gets gets points. That's what that's what he always did. I mean, Grant would go in these games and get fouled 52 times in a game, make all the free throws, and if and if he wasn't doing that, he was making nice moves and not getting fouled and putting the ball up and putting it in the hoop. Like he just was he was clutch every single time he ever got his hands on the ball late in a game. And so like you almost don't even have to try with a kid like that, which is amazing for a coach. It's it's the perfect situation any anytime you have it. But he was automatic points, and he was a great leader. And you had another great leader on the team in Admiral Schofield, who was also very uh, reliable late in games and clutch with the ball in his hands late. And so you had two of those guys. And so th- those are the two 31 seasons. And then Rick is faced with the challenge of, I have young raw talent. I have some good senior leaders, but they're not transcendent talents, which for a lot of coaches can equal a really, really good basketball team. And with Rick, they haven't come together like that. They just haven't. It's the roster last year was really solid, and you get bounced in the first round by a not particularly good Oregon State team. And and then the year before, you don't even, there was no tournament, but you wouldn't have made the no. tournament that year. You They weren't going to make it. And so you just take all that into consideration, and you're just left going like, who for five million bucks? What are we getting in return? That's I don't feel like there's enough. I don't feel like Barnes holds himself accountable. He does at not times, and I know we've talked about it before, but it really just sticks out with the Fulkerson comments. And he's talking about how just how they need to play tougher and this and that, and they do. Like they they need to play tougher. They need to take care of the ball better. Uh, they they need to be better in the post. They need to do all those things, but that's it's coaching. You have the talent; it, it has to fall to coaching. Yes, the players take responsibility, you know, at, at some point. Um, but it, it falls on the coach, and it just feels like he's deflecting all the time after games. Like he has no problem calling someone out, which is fine. But it's weird sometimes in this public, very public way. Like, what is that? It doesn't feel like you can build trust that way with your team. I mean, I, I know those conversations are going to happen behind closed doors. They should happen all the time. I mean, that's what a coach is for. Um, but in, in the media and stuff, it's just a weird approach. I mean, usually you feel like you, you got these football coaches and even Jeremy Pruitt and guys that really had their players' backs in the public eye. And so many times that Jared Garantano could have just got slammed and buried uh, even by Jeremy Pruitt, and he just didn't. And regardless of what you think about Pruitt, I always respected that about him, the way that he kind of stood up for players, even the way he stood up for Jeremy Baines when all that stuff went down. And it's just, I don't know, it kind of, it strikes me. The, I, I like Rick Barnes a lot. I mean, everybody has their quirks, but it does strike me the wrong way sometimes. I agree just completely. He's... It's kind of the thing that I've I've knocked uh, Mike Vrabel on a lot with with the Titans. He'll have these games where he just loses his mind and loses to the Texans and the Jets and the Jets, <laughs> and then he gets into the press conference and just says, "Oh, we got to be better." Well, no doubt you got to be better. Hello, Mike. Of course you have to be better. But what's what happened? What happened out there? Let's have some self reflection here. And of course, hey, with Vrabel. We're the number one seed in the AFC with Rick right now. You are not that, okay? 
um, and you haven't been you haven't been really relevant on a national scale since 2018. I mean, you were number one that year for a pretty sizable amount of weeks, but you're not that. You don't have Grant, Grant Williams. They walk into that door. So what can you do for me? What are you doing for me lately? I I'm not I'm not going to let you live off of the shine of three years ago forever. That's great, and I'm appreciative for those years, and they were super fun, and I was incredibly blessed to be able to cover those games in person. Right there, I got to sit courtside for that entire era, and it was amazing. And now it's over. So what are we doing right now? That's just the conversation, and so that's we'll we'll continue to just sort of have this out over the course of the year. We'll see where it goes. Said it a thousand times already, just in this episode. Plenty of season left. You got South Carolina this week, and then you're Kentucky. playing at Rupp, I believe, on Saturday. They ki- What'd you say? Oh, I said then Kentucky, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then then I believe you go to Rupp in, in the next game. Win those two, and we're maybe we're having a conversa- a different conversation in a week. But so far, it's a rough start to the SEC schedule, even in your win. Oh, and that <laughs> LSU, Ole Miss. LSU comes around again quick, January 22nd. Yep, you, you, got, them, you got them at home. And, I mean, that's it's just a game you can't lose. Like those, those are the ones. That's where you set yourself apart. I for- that's where those teams with Grant and Admiral set themselves apart because they would win those games. They'd win those real gut check games. I forgot about that Texas game nestled there at the end of January. Mm-hmm. And Texas, that's going to be yeah. a real tough one. Yeah. That's going to be a real tough one because Texas, if you don't follow college basketball that closely, is is pretty good. And they have Beard as a coach, Chris Beard, who is an excellent basketball coach. And so, I nothing's going to be easy. And you got a roster that should be able to win at a high level, so let's let's see it. We'll we'll reapproach sometime soon. But that's just wish we could talk about other stuff. That's what's going on in Tennessee sports right now. Zach, any other uh, anything else that we may have missed? Any parting thoughts you got for the good folks? What uh what did you think about Jawan Jennings' uh, game yesterday for the 49ers? Oh, I love it. That's not think of five something receptions, 95 yards, couple of touchdowns. He's really developed into a key player for the 49ers. And I the best tweet that I saw was from a, like a 49ers fan account that said Jawan Jennings is everything the 49ers were hoping Jalen Jalen Hurd would be. And that Ugh. as a Tennessee fan, you have to see that tweet. It's like, I know I, we were back and forth on Twitter's. It's an instant reminder of all the talent that Butch Jones blew. <laughs> Those two guys who are talked about in that way by folks in the NFL had them and Alvin Kamara and Josh Dobbs and Derek Barnett and well, Jalen Reed, Maven, and uh, yeah, yeah, Josh all Malone, on the same team. Cam Sutton, who had a big interception yesterday for the Steelers. Yeah. All. On the, I don't know if all of those guys that we just mentioned were all on the same team. I'd have to. I'm pretty go back sure and check, it, it. Well, I don't think May Jennings was uh, on the 2015 team. Well, yeah, because Barnett played yeah. in 2016. I think they were all on that 2016 team. I think so. Yeah. And won nine games and lost to Bandy. <laughs> Come on. But as far as Jennings goes, just so happy for him. Uh, I love it. You know. Tennessee fans always keep up with players when they go to the NFL. But there are a few players that when they get to the NFL, once they had been at Tennessee, just kind of achieve this cult-like status in the fan base. I mean, obviously Peyton Manning was that way. 
Eric Berry was that way, where every time Eric Berry's contract was coming up, Titans fans were dreaming of, you know, maybe they make a play for Berry. I remember writing a couple of articles about that at some point, I think when maybe Kansas City released him or something. But he was that way. Uh, Josh Dobbs, to an extent, I, I can always tell because I, I write about a lot of these players and you see the analytics on stuff and you see the ones that move the needle and the ones that don't. And Jawan Jennings is absolutely one of those guys that fans absolutely love. Uh, I posted some, like a picture on one of our Vol Facebook pages last night of, of Jennings in a 49ers uniform. 49ers uniform and it racked up like 3,000 lights uh, within, you know, 12 hours or something, which is for that page a, a way above normal. So yeah, that it, it's, it's just somebody that really represented Tennessee in a great way. Uh, he masked a lot of problems for Butch Jones. He masked a lot of problems for Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, I, I mentioned this on Twitter today. Like how many, t- how many games is that 2019 Tennessee team under Pruitt? They went eight and five, the team that lost to Georgia state and BYU how many games does that team win without Jawan Jennings? Because I feel like he willed Tennessee to a couple of those wins. I mean, the South Carolina game, I mean, uh, he he single-handedly ran the offense just about. Just Tennessee's quarterback situation was a mess. I think he took the first snap out of the Wildcat that game. Uh, you know, do they even make a bowl game if Jennings isn't on that roster? He single-handedly carried that team i mean yeah it's i don't think they make a bowl game and and it just yeah and he made catches in huge spots in that game like uh, in invaluable something that i do love and this is really a product of tennessee having so many rough years in sports but tennessee fans are great at appreciating the small victories right now and of course it comes from if if tennessee had a dominant football team every year like alabama you become jaded <laughs> you can't and you, keep up with all the alabama players in the nfl it, exactly but just right now we just appreciate that stuff because you that's what you have and so it it is so nice to see somebody like that succeeding at the highest level. And he's just, man, I just love that kid. He, his whole energy, his whole aura, yes. if that's what you he's want to so call it. Pos- just- Did you see his post-game interview on ESPN? Yes. I mean, I loved it. It's so good. And the best thing I- about it is, you know, he was kicked off the team at Tennessee by, by Brady Hoke and John Curry, which we all know about. And one of the, the great things that Jeremy Pruitt did was bring him back, him and Fulmer, you know, brought Jennings back, which was the obvious move. Anybody that was hired was going to do the same thing. But just constantly dealing with stuff, you know, the the hurt wrist that he suffered in, in 2017, you know, trying to come back hurt, desperately wanting to come back and beat Vandy, like that that Instagram video that got him kicked off the team, just the pure hate that he had for Vanderbilt. I, uh, you can't fake that. And then everybody that watched him at Tennessee just understood the passion he played with. The, big, the key plays that he would make in key situations, uh, the catch against Florida, the, the Hail Mary, obviously, where he wasn't even supposed to be the intended receiver against Georgia, all that, and still nobody really wanted him in the NFL. I mean, he was a low-round draft pick. They talked about his slow 40 time. He ran a four four seven two or something, and nobody really believed in him. Even when he got – I think he was drafted, what, the seventh round? 
They said, well, he, he's going to be lucky to even make the team. That's that's just like being an undrafted free agent. You're not guaranteed a spot. He bounced off the practice squad, and he has you know, continued to fight and make, make a huge impact for a team that's going to the playoffs and, and really needed that win. That's it, it's, it's a great thing to see, just like you said, because of the aura he gives off and, and his personality. He's just a joy to watch. He, he has an iron will and a really serious work ethic. Yeah. You, I mean, you just combine those two things and that, that can turn into something great as far as, you know, an athlete goes. So, um, love it. Enjoy the, the little victories right now. Rick Barnes, I'll just say, let's win some more basketball games, please. Let's just get it back on track so we don't have to have these conversations. Um, I feel like every time I say that, something goes like catastrophically wrong. I, I've said, I remember I they said something along. They can't lose to South Carolina. There's no way that's going to happen. Right? <laughs> yeah, no way at all. Um, but I feel like I, I remember very distinctly. It's one of those like, oh, do you remember where you were when? Um, the podcast we did before Jeremy Pruitt lost to Kentucky. Mm. We we were, you know, everybody, Tennessee was undefeated at that point. You you had had, I think, if I'm remembering beat correctly. South I Carolina think. and Missouri, I believe. Yeah, and like you were kind of cruising. They were right. And you were like, "All right, we're we're good. Kentucky game is coming, and just let's take care of business." And I think I said something to the effect of, "Let's just not even talk about if that's it's not even don't don't make us talk about that. Let's not even think about it." And then, well, it all fell apart. We did the, we, did the, we did the we did the we did the same thing with the Purdue game too. I mean, we didn't we true. didn't even <laughs> entertain the idea of a loss. <laughs> At least that one was close. At least that game was close. Um, I was uh, yeah. that that game is one that will live in infamy. I was I texted you and talked about it. I was in Hendon Hooker's hometown. My son had a basketball tournament in Greensboro, and I had a Tennessee hat on during the games. We were at a high school there, and a guy walks by and he's like, "Hey, Tennessee fans!" Like, yeah, he's like, "I'm." He was from Nashville. And he's like, yeah, there's not many of us out this way. I always try to, you know, talk to any that I come across. Next words out of his mouth was, you know, we got screwed in that Purdue game, right? Like, <laughs> we got screwed big time. Like, yeah, 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 you're not wrong. <laughs> so that's I, uh, that's what's going to be talked about for a long time. It's gonna, it's an infamous one. Unfortunately, just the we have too many of those. We got to cut down on the infamous games. That's, uh, I mean, I would, yeah, we we said it last week. That's one that you're going to look back on for years and you'll be like, remember when we got screwed over against Purdue and the music for the second time in the music table? Yeah. I hope it's not an every 10 year thing here. We're going to hopefully not, but that's it for this week in the Big Orange podcast. I'm Charlie Burris. That is Zach Reagan. Thank you so, so, so much to everybody who listened. We had one of our uh, biggest episodes uh, ever, actually, this last one, just by the numbers, um, last week. So thank you to everybody who listened to that. That's awesome. We really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for coming back. If you've listened this far, at Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach DNTA, at A to Z Sports, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports National, and A to Z Sports.com to read the stuff that Zach and I write. And uh, otherwise, the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. Rate, review, subscribe. Get it all there. Make sure you don't miss an episode. And I think that's it. We'll talk to you all next week. See you guys later.
Everybody's in your